1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: Well, here we are at your service. Here we are. I am Johnny Rabbit from KMOX. Can you imagine what would likely have happened to Midtown St. Louis at St. Louis University and the St. Louis University Medical School moved to the county? Actually, such a move was very briefly contemplated in the very late 1940s. And ah, at the time, a whole lot of businesses and institutions were following the exodus of so many city dwellers who were moving from the aging and decaying inner city to the bright, shiny newness of St. Louis County. As far as Midtown was concerned, the first wave of offices to head west were those of the medical professionals. But thank goodness, St. Louis University stood its ground and not only stayed put, but continued and is continuing to develop and to grow. And our guest now... Father David Sawalski, SJ, uh, from St. Louis University, he was our expert on the 1949 St. Louis exorcism for our Missouri History Museum Ghost Tour. He is here to be our guide to the past, the present, and the future of St. Louis U, and the Jesuits, too. Uh, Father Sawalski, welcome. How are
3: you? I'm great. You got your Billikens. Look at that Billikens. Hoodie on. I should have worn my Kansas City Chiefs hoodie. <laughs> Looking forward to the game this
2: afternoon. Oh, that's great. Well, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Are you, uh, Your Ph.D. is in history? Yes, it is. And that's what you do, really. I mean, do you, are you the
3: official historian of St. Louis? I, I contribute to the official history of St. Louis. John Wade is a longtime archivist at mm-hmm. the University of uh, bears that title. And is he still there? He is. He's emeritus now, but he's still...
2: Well, t- well t- we've, t- he's really a great guy, been very helpful to me on many, many projects, including, uh, it seems, and I don't know if this is actually happens, but what it, it does seem is if St. Louis University removes a building, a building is torn down, not necessarily a university building, maybe they've taken over a building, uh, they keep an, a, a part of that building, a little uh, architectural artifact. For example, when the Olympia apartment building... Uh, was torn down that would have been at the northeast corner of what was west pine and vandeventer john wade knew that my i had a particular interest and in that my grandfather had a drugstore in that building for me- decades as a matter of fact and so he gave me two small artifacts from the terracotta front of that building which we have in our backyard so, <laughs> so, so i really think highly of of john Wade. Uh, and it's uh, and of and you and the work that you're, you're doing, the wonderful tour, the way, we didn't get the whole tour, the ghost tour, we just saw part of it, at the
3: Art Museum, the oh. St. Louis University Museum of Art. Where is that? So that's at 3663 Lindell. Uh, it's the old university, St. Louis University Club, that was built at the end of the 19th century, uh, actually where the plans for the 1904 World's Fair took place. They're right at the club. And it looks the same. This is a beautiful. It's a beautiful building. Oh, my goodness. What is it, French
2: Renaissance? Yes.
3: Yeah. Second uh, Empire. And it's
2: right next to, well, it's sandwiched between the Scottish Rite Cathedral and the former Masonic Temple. And on our tour, we saw that tremendous construction going on next door at that huge Masonic uh, Temple. What's going on in there? They're turning it into apartments, actually. That's going to be big. I don't know how they're going to do it. They need uh, more windows. One
3: story I heard was that it's the same size uh, as the Brentwood Mall, <laughs> 350,000 square feet. That
2: oh, is an amazing, an amazing sight. They even had a 2,200-seat uh, theater inside that was never finished. Never finished. Uh, That's it, great. But you're right in there, in, in, right between those spots. If people. You can park right in front or, sure. uh, and come inside. What are you going to see when you go into that museum?
3: Well, we've got the museum organized, and I I should say the university has had a museum since the 1830s, and so this is the most recent incarnation of it. We've got visitor books where visitors would sign in Mm -hmm. that include uh, Daniel Webster, Charles Dickens, and even Lieutenant Robert E. Lee. My, my. (laughs) That's amazing. And, and, you know, when it first started, it was more of a cabinet of curiosities with seashells and minerals and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, one of our early Belgian Jesuits, his mother was a countess of the Holy Roman Empire, and she and her ladies would collect things to send to St. Louis, and that included scientific instruments. It included books. She found this Augustinian monastery that had been devastated in the Napoleonic Wars and got a hold of 5,000 volumes that she sent to St. Louis, as well as uh, artwork. And as you might imagine, that era, most of it was uh, of religious subjects, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So is some
2: of that still here?
3: Yes, some of that is still here. So to answer your question, if you walk in the first floor, the Aronson Gallery is used for visiting exhibitions. The second floor, uh, we've dedicated to modern and contemporary art from the university collection. The third floor where we had uh, your group meet was uh, is the collection of Western Jesuit missions, which— we have materials from the province, the Society of Jesus, that uh, were originally out at Florissant in the original rock building that was built in the 1840s, and that all got transferred to St. Louis U uh, when Father you decided to open that building as an art museum.
2: It is, it's really something to see. Anyway, that's a large art museum. This is not some little corner of something. I mean, there's multi-story, um, and just to see the interior architecture as well of the building. It's a, a beautiful place to to be, quiet. I'm assuming you don't see a lot of people there.
3: Well, we'd like to see more people. Sure, of course. I say, And I would also add that it's free.
2: So that's good, too.
3: It's also good, and it's one of several museums on campus, the Museum of Contemporary Religious Art and the Marquette Gallery, which is the old university library in DeBerg Hall. Um, so there's lots of opportunities to see art and culture. And I first got into the museum business when I was asked to be the director of the Couples House, so the big mansion that's next now, to Samuel the library. Now, Samuel Couples that would magnet, what a beautiful home that I is. I'll tell you what. And uh, Father McNamee kept that one from being uh, demolished. When they were building the Pious Library, they wanted to take the mansion down and turn it into a parking lot.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh, no. And
3: then to walk into that building oh. today and to see all the art and artifacts. And then, of course, it's just a beautiful example of 19th century craftsmanship.
2: It really is. I, that's just that's a work of art. I mean, you don't have to see any art that's in there. Just look at the building. That's right. Now, you mentioned, uh, is it MOKRA? Yes. And what does that stand
3: for again? Museum of Contemporary Religious Art. Where is that? That is in the Old Chapel uh, of the fuse building, which is at uh, Spring and West Pine, and even
2: though there's not really a Spring and West Pine anymore. Not anymore. Spring and West but, Pine
3: would be where the clock tower is. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, so, then, that, so that's different than what, what makes the difference. What's decided? Okay, the uh, museum on Lindell, or does it go to the museum over there at Spring and the, West Pine?
3: Moakrell was really a project of uh, Father Terry Dempsey, who was one of the art historians at SLU, and he had written his dissertation on contemporary religious art, which is uh, you know, a bit of a challenge in uh, the work of the art world today. You don't see a lot of religious-themed art, but he was able to uncover it and actually had the facility made available to him for uh, a small permanent collection. But it's typically a visiting exhibition that, that they would show, and he yep. just retired.
2: What about the uh, you just mentioned the Marquette Library and yeah. De Berg Hall? De Berg Hall, there's there's a historic place, yeah. man. Oh man, what a building of eighteen nineties
3: or something. And uh, yeah, 1888. What, yeah.
2: 1888, Gosh, what about that uh, library? What
3: is the library? Well, back in the day, the Father's Library also served as the university library, and so this is a four level uh, facility that was in the middle of De Berg Hall with its wrought iron railings. It has a spiral staircase that goes up (laughs) to the different levels and uh, originally had a huge skylight that would have brought natural light into the space. Uh, That, of course, kind of succumbed to the times. But uh, that facility we use for meetings and such, and we decided to take, as I mentioned earlier, elements of religious art from the university collection and use that to decorate the Marquette Gallery.
2: Now, your position there at St. Louis University, Vice President of Mission and Identity yes. for the university. I like
3: that title, but what does it mean? Well, I tell people that my primary responsibility is to be the chief storyteller of St. Louis U. Good. Yeah. So Nothing what wrong makes, with that? What makes SLU distinctive? Yeah. What gives us reason for continuing to be St. Louis University? And in that sense, it's to talk about our mission as a Jesuit and Catholic university, and that those elements that distinguishes us from uh, public or other private universities.
2: What about attendance these days? I mean, uh, the population, student body, is it growing? Is it Uh, remaining about the same?
3: Well, actually, SLU is a real success story despite COVID and everything else. We have 13,500 students, which is the largest enrollment we've had, oh, since about 2009, 2010. For example, three of the four years have been the largest freshman classes Great. Um, and I, honestly, I think some of that is word out as families have paid attention to how St. Louis U responded to the challenges of the pandemic.
2: I, I'm sure that's true. And that is, it's great to hear that this is happening and it oh, continues yeah. to happen. And, and you know, the campus continues to grow. I mean, this uh, you, you, it was never east of Grand in years gone by, but yeah. now that's the Frost Campus. And there's what's, what is east of Grand? Well...
3: What was once east of Grand, and this is part of what I project that, that I work on, from Grand all the way down to Jefferson, if not further east, was just, and from Washington to market, was just uh, dirt poor tenements mm-hmm. and dirty industry. And uh, urban renewal came to St. Louis in the 1950s, and there was a deliberate move to just begin to demolish right. all of that That's area. True. So SLU wasn't east of Grand until after that urban renewal, and all of this open property came into play. And one of our largest gifts came to Father Reinert, who was the then president at the end of the 50s that allowed us to start purchasing property on, on that side of the street. So that's where you see, uh, now you see the Chaffetz Arena, you see the Bush Student Center, um, the new interdisciplinary science and engineering building, and all of the playing fields in the stadium are all over on that side.
2: Easy to get to, but not not that hard. Not that Grand hard. can be a little tough getting across if you're crossing. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's
3: true. They have put in some sidewalks and and traffic lights that hadn't been there some years ago. And in fact, as I came down here to the station today, uh, there's some huge event at Schaeffitz, so oh. the place is is full up. I know it's not as full as when Disney on Ice was here a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> well, Father
2: Swalski is here. We'll come right back to him. We're going to, at your service, we're talking more about St. Louis University, its development, and some other factors there that maybe you'd want to know about or maybe you want to go take a look at sometime. It's 17 minutes after two. This is Johnny Rabbit at your service on KMO.
0: T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours
2: Hmm. It was very peaceful for a while, but now, now we're going to liven things up. I'll tell you. We're talking with Father Sir David Sawalski from Saint Louis University, and what do you? you uh, I wanted to ask you about and not on the campus there by any means. The Shrine of Saint Joseph, Eleventh and Biddle downtown. You were over there for some things.
3: I did. I was uh, their their pastor had uh, hip replacement, so I ended up covering the church for about five months, and it's just a remarkable structure. You know, at Saint. Um, Joseph's was, was constructed for the German speaking Catholic immigrant community. College Church tended to serve the Irish immigrants in uh, the original cathedral downtown. Uh, they preached in French. And so that was kind of the original mm-hmm. kind of structure. So St. Joe's was always a, um, had that German roots to it. And, uh, and you go in there in comparison to College Church, and it's much more elaborate. Uh, College Church can almost kind of present as severe with the white statues and, and the dark stained glass, whereas the shrine is much more colorful and, um, of course, has the famous miracle that was accepted for the canonization of St. Peter Claver, who was a Jesuit um, who spent his life in Cartagena working to relieve the misery of enslaved hmm. Africans who were brought to South America. That's a, just a beautiful place. And mostly, I think it's, it's not technically a parish anymore— but they do have a Mass on Sunday, and then it's a favorite destination for weddings because it's got uh. one of the Long aisles in St. Louis. Oh, Spain. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so is it open during the week at all for people to, to come and look? Or? I know on Sundays that they will do tours after the 11 o'clock Mass, and I think you could make arrangements. But all of that's being done by volunteers oftentimes who are still Working during the regular hours of the work week.
2: Something to see if you've not seen it, and something in history. The, the miracle—that's the only documented miracle I understand in yeah. the United States, anyway.
3: I believe so. Yeah,
2: that had happened there a long and, time ago. And you ago. know,
3: that was when—that was also slated to be demolished. I mean, yeah. that whole right. area there was just blown out and terrible. And uh, Father Filippiac was the one who kind of did what Father McTamy did with the couple's house and said no, and he moved into the rectory. Despite what the bishop had asked him, archbishop had asked him to do, and then sadly, and had a group of friends who were helping make small contributions so they could begin to restore the church, and then um, he was murdered. Yeah, right, right there. I mean. And you can, if you get to the rectory, they'll show you his oh, room. Oh my goodness, which has this little iron twin bed and has a little dorm refrigerator in it with a six pack of uh, Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, us going to another church, St. Francis Xavier Church. People call it the college
2: church. That, uh, is it part of the archdiocese?
3: No. Well, uh, it's the Society of Jesus staffs it. The actual buildings are owned by St. Louis University. And uh, so we have, uh, it seems odd to say it this way, we have a contract with the archdiocese. Sure. There you yeah. go. What
2: about the future? I of the you know there's so many changes going on with churches. I read some report that there's uh, the attendance there that amasses is like 17% of what a uh, capacity. Is there any there's any fear that uh, that may close?
3: No, the order churches like uh, Rock Church that the Redemptorist staff those mm-hmm. those are somewhat basically isolated the churches that are not staffed by archdiocesan priests uh, are pretty much immune from this uh Process.
2: Well, then what, there's uh, what about uh, slavery? We've sure. touched on that before in a different regard, but uh, the, the history of slavery regarding the
3: Jesuits. Uh huh. Well, it's really as as we were talking off air. It's a puzzlement to me. So our Jesuits that helped to found what then becomes uh, the Missouri Province, now the Central and Southern Province, uh, were all from Belgium, and they were young. They hadn't been ordained priests yet, although they were accompanied by two brothers and three priests, and they were required by Bishop de Berg to bring six slaves. Hmm. Uh, They turned out to be three couples who were married. And the Maryland province, which was the original Jesuit province, had always been a slave-owning province, so they made these six people available. And I really think de Berg insisted on this because he first brought the Vincentians, who ended up in Perryville, and they were all Italians, who had no idea how to grow anything or build anything <laughs> on the frontier and nearly sure. starved, and then the religious of the Sacred Heart who came up to um, St. Charles, and they were all basically aristocratic French women who didn't know how to do anything practical. And they had a real tough beginning as well. And so when the bishop said that these Jesuits, I'd like to have them here in St. Louis. He didn't want them to go through the same experiences the Vincentians and the Sacred Heart Sisters, so he insisted that they bring slaves. And then it just continued uh, with additional slaves all the way up until the end of the Civil War.
2: Father, thank you. I'm, we're out of time, unfortunately. A lot more to talk about maybe on another uh, expedition on the radio.
3: Sure. I really thanks. appreciate that. Thank, it's great
2: to talk to you, Thank Donnie. you, and thanks again for your... Uh, a wonderful presentation about the, the exorcist. That was really good. I'll My tell you. pleasure. Father David Zawalski from St. Louis University, Johnny Rabbit, we're here at your service from KMOX. That's Johnny Rabbit. We're at your service, and Dr. Jody is here, Jody Fowle. He is the new leader for now four months of the legendary institution, the Missouri Historical Society. Hey, Jody. That's
4: right. So good to see you.
2: Good to see you. And look at that shirt you've got on St. Louis Sound. St.
4: Louis Sound. (sighs) What an exhibition. Yeah. So that is our look at how St. Louis shaped popular American music history. Imagine American music history without Scott Joplin and Josephine Baker and Tina Turner and Miles Davis and Fontella Bass and Chuck Berry and Uncle Tupelo and yes. Nelly. That's what it would be without <laughs> St. Louis. So. Wow. Yeah.
2: Uh, you were working there today.
4: Yeah. So I was today. This is one of those great weekends at the Missouri History Museum. This was our Dia de los Muertos celebration. So thousands of people. Coming to see the altars and learn about uh, DIA culture and see mariachi bands. Just an amazing event.
2: Oh, that's great. This uh, this was a two-day event.
4: Yes, so that was uh, yesterday and today. That's great. But we do it every year, so if people haven't come out, they should definitely look for You
2: should come to that. And it's of interest that uh, Jody, I, I understand this. You are the seventh person to preside over the Historical Society.
4: Isn't that something? Just seven presidents, uh, full time presidents, mm-hmm. in the uh, 156 year history of the Missouri Historical Society. So That's we were Amazing. Yeah, we were founded in 1866. Uh, you know, the group of founders were not too far from you on the uh, steps of the old courthouse that mm-hmm. said, We are going to create an institution for the ages, and we are going to save this city and this state's history from oblivion.
2: Thank goodness they did, and thank goodness you're doing it.
4: Exactly. So those were, you know, we stand on giants at the Missouri Historical Society.
2: Now, you've been there 19 years? Uh, I've been in St.
4: Louis. I've lived in St. Louis for 19 years. I've been at the Missouri Historical Society for 16. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those two are connected because I I never thought I was going to go into museums. I, I came to St. Louis to get a doctorate in American studies at St. Louis University but absolutely fell in love with this place. It was this place where my wife and I wanted to raise our two girls. It was this place that felt like home in a way that no other city had. So I took a job 16 years ago, a contract position for two years, thinking maybe that'll lead to something.
2: And it did. And it did. <laughs> what what was the job? The so,
4: yeah, so it was uh, creating, conducting oral histories for an exhibit about St. Louis's aviation history. We called it Flight City. I interviewed some of the most fascinating people I've ever interviewed, fighter pilots. Mm. Um, I interviewed the woman who was the uh, first TWA air hostess. So the very first time they had air hostesses. And I interviewed the woman who was an aerospace nurse for the NASA program through McDonnell Douglas. Uh, So she, uh, you know, she worked with Wally Schirra and Neil Armstrong and all the all the greats.
2: You're from where originally?
4: Oh, originally from Memphis. Grew up in small town Arkansas, went to undergrad in Dallas. So again, I've sort of gotten around, but yeah. it was St. Louis that always felt like home.
2: And what about the, how did you get to St. Louis know? though? Is there are so many yeah. other choices.
4: You know, I came to Missouri to get my master's in journalism. I was a journalist uh, at the University of Missouri School of Journalism and then stayed there and taught and worked as an editor for the town's morning newspaper, but thought that I wanted to continue in academia, so Mm -hmm. that's what brought me to St. Louis University, because I thought I would go out and continue teaching.
2: No, we are teaching. I am teaching in a different way and to, you
4: know, larger audiences than I ever could in a classroom.
2: So you're the leader of multiple entities under the Missouri Historical Society umbrella. Uh, What are these?
4: So, yeah, so the Missouri History Museum is probably the one that people are the most familiar with. But we also run the Library and Research Center on Skinker. And that's where you can do the research into your personal history. So the history of your family or the history of your neighborhood or your business or your place of worship. And then, also starting in 2018, we took over operations of Soldiers Memorial right there, in right downtown the St. Louis, here, here right, it is. We can, I was just there yesterday for a Veterans Day celebration.
2: And then there will be uh, that new exhibit opening there this uh, on, on uh, so Veterans excited. Day itself. Yeah,
4: opens on Friday, Veterans Day itself. That is Vietnam at War and at Home. You know, ever since we announced we would be taking over operations of Soldiers Memorial, people said. Can you do an exhibit about Vietnam? So this is fulfilling a request that people have asked for years. You know, that's one thing that we've added to Soldiers Memorial. It never had a temporary exhibit space where we could bring new exhibits. Mm. And so when we took over operations, we totally redid the inside, brought new exhibits. But we also redid the basement level so that we could bring in new shows every few years to give people new reasons to come back.
2: So this show will be there for a while.
4: This show will be there for a while, a couple of years, and it was created in-house. So these are all, you know, this exhibit does what I think Soldiers does best, which is not just tell you military history, but really tell you St. Louis history, because we tell everything through the lens of St. Louis. Mike Venzo? Mike Venzo is our military uh, and firearms curator, and he did all of the research for that show, just incredibly knowledgeable Um But I think what connects a lot of those curators at the Missouri Historical Society is it's not just that they're knowledgeable. It is that they care passionately about working with members of the community to create these exhibits together. So it's not just I am the expert and I am all-knowing. They really do partner with people throughout the community. That's important. It really is. Absolutely.
2: Uh, The uh, Library and Research Center, is it uh, it not open right now? So
4: it is not open for drop-in visitors, so walk-in visitors. We are doing a lot of construction right now and to make that space even better. But in the meantime, you can still do your research remotely. We still have librarians that are happy to help. Probably the easiest way to find out about that is just go to mohistory.org, and you can see the phone number of how to how to connect with them.
2: Mike Truax was here a short time ago about the World's Fair. Now, what's the latest in the World's Fair exhibition at the History Museum?
4: Yeah, so, you know, the 1904 World's Fair is one of those stories that... People still want to talk about, still want to think about. But amazingly, there are still stories about the 1904 World's Fair that that most St. Louisans don't know. So we are in the process right now of working on a new major World's Fair exhibit okay. that we hope will open okay. in 2024. Uh, that exhibit will include a scale model of the World's Fair. will be about as close to getting back to 1904 as you can. Uh, But we are also we talk a lot about that we are going to help visitors relive the wonder and reexamine the complexity of the fair because we won't just talk about those wonderful things, the Ferris wheel and how grand it was. We're going to also talk about some of the difficult history, whether it be the Philippine Reservation or just some of the displays that are quite different than what we would do today.
2: Now, you mentioned a scale model. Who will build that?
4: Yeah, so we're working. We haven't finalized yet, but we'll work with an outside designer on that who will come in and help us build that based on a lot of research from a lot of different people. Um, Our hope is that not only will there be a scale model, but there will be monitors around the model where you can basically take a tour through the World's Fair. So not just seeing pictures of buildings, but also and reading some of those first-hand accounts of what it was like to be here at that time.
2: Now, when is there is a program, I can't think of the name of it, Coloring the Buildings and all oh,
4: Coloring SDL is a new exhibit we have that is just amazing. I talk about this, I think it's a near-perfect exhibit. It has great artifacts and great photos and everything that we would expect, but it also allows you something that I don't think you've ever done at a museum before – that is color on the walls of a museum. You're
2: not supposed you, to do that. Have but you ever done can. that before? No. If you have, you're in trouble. But in this
4: case, it's okay because we have created dry erase wallpaper with outlines of St. Louis buildings and homes. Visitors use dry erase markers and go up there and color. It's a great thing to do as a family. It's a great thing to do over the holidays. Um, you know, but what I love, I think, most about it is that it sneaks history in. You think you're just coloring and having fun. But you're also learning about really St. Louis's rich architecture
2: history. You really are. And the artifacts.
4: And the are artifacts quite are amazing. The original dragons from the Tower Grove Chinese Pavilion or one of the pendants from the St. Louis Central Library, which we're also right back.
2: Jody Sowell is our guest, and we want to find out about money. How do you get the money to do all these <laughs> None of this is inexpensive. That's true. That's Where does true? it come from?
4: So, you know, we are very lucky. I tell people when I go to other. History museums, which I do a lot, and tell them about the ZMD the Zoo Museum Tax District, mm-hmm. and tell them that each year we get an $11 million, at the Missouri Historical Society, a $11 million head start in fundraising. I usually have to wait a little while while they pick up their jaw <laughs> yeah, from I'm the mad. floor, and they're usually <laughs> angry at me once they uh, collect themselves. But we couldn't do what we do without the ZMD Tax District, but that's only about half of our budget every year, so we also rely on people becoming members, we rely on generous corporate sponsors. We are one of the best, and I just say that to try to sound humble, we are the best uh, <laughs> history museum that's looking at one city. I think if you, if one region, if you look at an exhibit like Coloring STL or St. Louis Sound, you see that that work does not happen in many cities across the country. We can only do that through the generous support of those sponsors, those members, and of course, the ZMD.
2: We're going to be right back with Jody Saul. Thank you for listening to us. It's 16 minutes until 3. We're at your service. Johnny Rabbit, KMOX. Johnny Rabbit at your service, and we're with Jody Saul, the new leader of the legendary Missouri Historical Society. A lot of people think about, oh, we'll go there during the day, but I had to work during the day. I, I wish they were open at night, wave, but there is something well, going on.
4: That's right. So Thursday nights is their night. So every Thursday night now, we promise to bring you the most fun, engaging, thought-provoking, perspective-shaping night of your week and their drinks. Uh-huh. Uh, so 530 oh. to 630 every Thursday night, we have a bit of a happy hour with pop-up <laughs> activities and food from local caterers. And then at 6.30 on every Thursday night, we have a main stage performance. And what I love about it that that makes that sort of phrase come true is that there's such variety. Every Thursday night is different. So, uh, you know, just in the last couple of months, we've had a reunion of the first all-girl punk rock band in St. Louis. Um, We've had a celebration of inspirational black women. We had a 75th anniversary of KSDK, where I think just about every anchor who ever showed up on uh, the screen was there. We even had live wrestling on the stage <laughs> of the Missouri History Museum <laughs> to talk about wrestling at the chase. So, you know, I tell the audiences oftentimes, there is no history museum that is having more fun on Thursday nights than that, the Missouri That's history for sure. That's yeah. great. And, great. And, and, you know, that's what we try to do with everything, yeah, is right. we try to... We want to share that deep history, but we want to share it in ways that are fun, that are engaging, that, that, like I said about coloring SDL, that maybe make you even not realize that you're learning history. That That's when we know we're doing our job.
2: That well, That's true. And the wrestling, Ed Wheatley, yes, Wrestling at the Chase, we're he's there, going yeah. to be at our uh, event that I'm presenting called The Front Row. Also
4: a wildly popular event, right? I hope so. (laughs) Uh, It is. Hundreds of people every time you show up. I hope
2: so. Uh, It's about theater in St. Louis. Theater and theaters and nothing more theatrical than wrestling at the chase. (laughs) That was theater for sure. Pretty amazing. And St. Lausanne, I'm very honored to be in that exhibit, too, thanks yes, to Andrew yeah. Wanko. What a great you know, exhibit.
4: Yeah, and that one that one is closing soon. Yeah, it is. Um, well, so January? it closes in January, so really people need to get to it or see it again. It is one of those that even though you've seen it, a dozen times there's still more stuff to see i mean you will see you know a dress that tina turner wore on the tonight show a new year's eve performance of tonight show an original marquee for some of the most famous clubs where uh tina and ike got their start um one of my favorite artifacts is is not actually an instrument or maybe what you would expect it is a seat back from uh the riverport amphitheater To help talk about the uh, riot that Guns N' Roses started, (laughs) if you remember that. I do, I do. Um, So Axel Rose got very mad that someone was taking his photo, so jumps out into the crowd, starts a riot that I think more than 60 people injured, more than $200,000 in damages, and somebody thought... I better save the seat back that's flying around because eventually the History Museum is going to want to do a music exhibit and we'll loan it to them.
2: That's darn nice. I saw you at this very morning. See you every Sunday morning on television on Channel 4.
4: That's right. I am in your living room whether you want me to be or not. So every Sunday morning uh, we produce a STL History Minute that runs on KMOV's CBS Sunday Morning. It's just one minute. Ron, I wish they would give me a little more time. I do, too, but I, say, it's good. I wish they'd give me SDL History Minute in 23 seconds. I could get a little bit more in. But uh, we tell a wide variety of stories about my favorite city, and uh, that's what I love about that one, too, is it's just every week you get mm-hmm. a different snippet. Yeah, Josephine of Baker was, was Talked today. about Josephine Baker, um, you know, the symbol of the jazz age. Who's born right here in St. Louis and really gets her start right here in St. Louis and famously comes back. You know, she flees the United States because of American racism and moves to Paris. And she famously comes back to the Keele Auditorium and gives a blistering speech about race relations in the United States.
2: Do you do any radio features, any, we, or something like yeah, this? Yeah,
4: we, we do for KDHX. We do uh Here's History piece. Uh, it's about a two-and-a-half-minute piece um, that runs each week multiple times, and a variety of our staff do those, largely our public historians. So Andrew Wonko, Adam Cloppy, Cecily Hunter, these are all names that you are familiar with because yes. you have worked with yeah. them on various projects. Um but, yeah, it's another way of reaching audiences where they are. Uh, we don't expect everyone to come to the We would love them to always come to the History Museum. But even if they don't, we'll reach them through CBS Sunday Morning or through KDHX or in columns in the St. Louis American and the Post-Dispatch. I don't think there's any historical society that saturates the local media as well as we do.
2: I'm sure that's true. Now, you also publish books.
4: We do. So we just uh, just published a book about Bosnian St. Louis, Mm -hmm. a really great look at the the reasons for uh, Bosnians coming to St. Louis, but also the stories of how they've impacted St. Louis. Uh, In the past, we have done exhibits about the I mean, sorry, books about the first known female artist in Missouri, Anna Maria Von Fuhl, who comes to St. Louis in the early 1800s and fills her sketchbooks with images of what people looked like and what buildings looked like in St. Louis. So she's not just important as an artist. She's also important as a historian.
2: Her name is on a street in North St. Yes, St. Louis. Yes,
4: that's right. So, right by the, uh, the von Fuhls. Yep. So... Uh, You know, books are another way that we can reach audiences and oftentimes ways that they can go deeper on the subjects that we present in a gallery but can't get quite as deep as we can in a – you know, in a long book.
2: Magazines, Gateway Heritage.
4: Magazines, yes, we still publish Gateway. And we also have a members magazine, which is just another good reason to become a member, called Currents, uh, that has great features about what we are doing. A Gateway is the one that is a little bit more in-depth and has a little bit more of a scholarly bent, but still accessible. And Currents is the one where you can get those short snippets and learn what's coming up every month.
2: I don't think we've talked about how to be a member how do you, oh, how do you so get to be a so member? So
4: the easiest thing to do is to go to Mohistory.org, so M-O-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y.org. Um, you know, we have memberships starting for as little as $75 a year. You know, some museums, the model is become a member and we will give you something free. You mm-hmm. know, we'll give you a mug, we'll give you a bag. And it's, it's, that's not a bad model necessarily. But what I love to tell people is, The reason you should become a member is because we want there to be no barriers to learning about St. Louis, about St. Louis's history and connecting St. Louis's history to its present and future. The way you can make sure we can do that is by becoming a member so that we can keep those exhibits and programs free, especially for those people who might not be able to afford the price of admission. It's it's one reason why I stayed in St. Louis. I was telling someone just today I used to take my girls every other week to the art museum to work on sketches, to Hmm. sketch artwork. Um, It's because I was making graduate-level money. I didn't have any money, and this was free entertainment. Um, But I could do that in St. Louis, whereas I could not do that in another city that would charge me $20 or whatever the case is to go into a museum. So that's why I want people to become members of the Missouri Historical Society is to make sure that we can keep these programs and exhibits free for everyone.
2: Well, now you're here in St. Louis. What about food? Do you go out to eat much? or Do you have any uh, certain things that are uh, are real St. Louis that you enjoy? Uh,
4: uh, You know, I love, uh, well, I love all things St. Louis. And so I love uh, usually my best friend and his family come in on the summers, and I love taking them to Ted Drew's and sort of sharing that scene with them. But, you know, I love trying out new restaurants all the time. So uh, I enjoy going and finding out what's new. St. Louis has one of the best food scenes in the it country, does. too. Really we have people from out of town come in. They're just shocked at sort of the array of options that we have. So, yeah. And, you know, food is history, too. I'm um, In just a few weeks, uh, the leadership team of the Missouri Historical Society and I are going out to dinner at Bull Rush. Oh, and, yeah, you know, yeah. what a wonderful job of connecting history to food. Um, just just an amazing place.
2: Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for being here, Jody.
4: Absolutely. Thank you for having
2: me. Look forward to seeing you again. It's
4: always good to see you.
2: Thank you. Jody is here. Jody Sahl, he's the, or Dr. Jody Sahl, he is the leader of the Missouri Historical Society. And matter of fact, I will see you there a week from Tuesday for The Front Row. We'll talk about that again next week. And this is Johnny Rabbit. We're at your service at KMOX.